Welcome to another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski of Pittsburgh Soccer Now. It is December. It is actually December, the weekend of the World Cup final, 2022. A World Cup that we will never forget in terms of time, uh, doing it in this time of year. We will never forget in terms of location, where they're playing it in the desert in Qatar. Uh, and of course, a World Cup we'll never forget in terms of maybe a star-studded final like we've never seen before, or like we haven't really seen. Well, there's always stars on the biggest stage in the final, but uh, you, you can't get any bigger than Leo Messi uh, and uh, Kylian Mbappe. And then that's uh, two, two big stars, and really France, and all their stars uh, and, uh, you know, a PSG reunion, uh, if you will. Uh, but uh, it's going to be an exciting final. And so on this episode of Sounding Off on Soccer, I'm real excited to be bringing on, uh, you know, one of our most consistent, ongoing, uh, regular contributors for Pittsburgh Soccer Now or in the last, since we started in 2018. And that's uh, Mark Goodman, the soccer rabbi, or we have plenty to flush out. So looking forward to that conversation. And then, uh, of course, uh, Amadeo uh, Eichberg, who is um, a good friend of the show and good friend of the podcast and a good friend of uh, really in Pittsburgh soccer media, Riverhounds games. Amadeo is, uh, he is a native of Argentina. So I know he's very excited about this final to see his beloved homeland. You know, can they finally get a World Cup victory first time since 1986? So, uh, and, you know, to have Leo Messi on that final stage. So can they do it? Can they defeat the mighty French uh, in the final. So we'll talk to Amadeo uh, about that. So looking forward to that and an array of topics. I mean, there's just so much going on, of course, before we get into it with Mark and uh, who I'll bring on first, you know, the we wrap up Pittsburgh soccer year. Uh, what a banner year in soccer. We wrapped everything up just with the University of Pittsburgh men's team making it to the College Cup. And we had Dominic Campbell, Pittsburgh Soccer Now, uh, reporting. And it was great to have him out there on site at the College Cup in Cary, North Carolina. Of course, Pitt came up short again against Indiana. And that's that was a tough task. And they were, you know, they they struggled uh, to find uh, the, the way they like to play. They were not really able to get into any rhythm. Indiana did a great job of disrupting that, taking away some of their strengths. And unfortunately for Pitt, another College Cup loss. But honestly, just to get to that stage two times in the last three years, Jay Vitovich, what he's done with that program, you know, we've said it time and time again here on this podcast and Pittsburgh Soccer Now with all of our coverage that Pitt soccer is in an unbelievable place, not only for the men's team, but also for the women's team. So uh, they're in a really, really fantastic place. And I think uh, next year will be very interesting. I think Jay Vitovich will definitely have to rebuild. Uh, he's going to lose some players uh, for sure. And the Pitt women's team will be bringing a lot of players back from the team that went to the Sweet 16 and lost, came up short against Florida State. So really, it's going to be an exciting 2023 in terms of the collegiate soccer scene Duquesne men's program has had a you know 
good run, and they're going to hope to continue that with a lot of returning players too. Uh, the Robert Morris programs are definitely on their way up. And, uh, you know, there's good coaching change on the men's side. It would be interesting to see what happens with that hire and who they go with to replace Jason O'Keefe, who uh, resigned uh, shortly after the season ended. Uh, to move back home uh, really was more of a personal decision for, on his part. No controversy in terms of, uh, you know, the program and that sort of thing. Uh, and, of course, you know, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, you know, just kind of as we do this sort of end of the year, my quick end of the year um, overview on Pittsburgh soccer and Pittsburgh Riverhounds. I mean, it's business as usual, really, honestly. I can know some people, the close diehard fans might be upset, and I'll talk to Mark a little bit more about that. And, you know, it's business as usual right now. They, they made the hard decisions of who to keep, who to go with in terms of, you know, who they had contract options with who they elected to select to keep, uh, and that's Robbie Mertz, Albert Dequa, Mark Ibarra, Arturo Ordonez, Nathan Dos Santos, Luke Biasi, and uh, the goalkeeper, uh, Jamaican goalkeeper, uh, Jamali Waite. And my takeaway immediately is that this is a very young core, uh, and young in their prime, young to in their prime core. You have... Uh, Mertz, Dequa, Yabara, Ordonez, Dos Santos, Biasi, away. I mean, we're not, we're talking about none of those guys are under the age of 26, I don't believe. So that's really a, the core that they're going with. Uh, and they've made some tough decisions not to, well, obviously, two year, the second year of their contracts uh, expired with players like Alex Dixon. And, uh, you know, those are the tough ones are like, watching a veteran player like Alex Dixon go or Russell Cicerone who did so much in two years in Pittsburgh and making that difficult decision, but it's a business decision ultimately for the Riverhounds. They have to operate the way they're going to operate. I and mean, Bob Lilly, you know, knows that he has to get back out there and find the next Russell Cicerone and maybe find the next veteran right, you know, right at that right time. I thought they caught Dixon at the end of his, uh, form really good in 2021, really good for throughout 2021, 2022 second half of the season, he completely dropped off. So that I don't know, you know, he's, he's re-signed with Monterey Bay and I'm sure he's going to be a great veteran addition for uh, a team like that, a new club, but you know, for the Riverhounds and for what Bob Lilly wants, and you know, he's just got to turn the page. Uh, there were some difficult decisions to make. And of course, Canardo Forbes is another one, and Danny Griffin, who were not currently on the roster. Now, Griffin's contract um, did was just a one-year deal. Uh, there was no contract option. So it would be interesting to see if that's MLS is a factor or if Griffin is just kind of weighing his options. And, and of course, Canardo Forbes, you know, 2018, he was signed on for – he did, the, you know, the two-year, and then he re-signed in 2020 – and then again for 2022. So the even years he's, he has re-signed. It was interesting that he wasn't, I mean, he's 33 now. Um, it was interesting that he did not have a contract option um, picked up. Uh, so the really one of the all time greats, as far as the hounds go to be into, I don't know if there's a reworking a contract. It's been kind of quiet over on the South side in terms of what Canardo 
Forbes' future uh, will entail. Uh, of course, Dane Kelly was one of the veteran pickups this year that didn't work out. Uh, all-time leading goal scorer in the USL Championship, but came started off pretty well with the Riverhounds and then sort of faded away as the season went on. So I think Bob Lilly had uh, some decision, made some decisions that he felt like, and looking forward to talking to Bob. I will be talking to Bob uh, probably next week at some point. Uh, so look forward to sharing a lot more uh, in terms of what getting into the mind of Bob Lilly and what he's doing at this point. Um, also future uh, podcasts, we are looking forward to having Jeff Garner, Pittsburgh Riverhounds president on the podcast. That should be coming uh, soon too. So we will have some, even though we're kind of hitting a dead period, we will have some, some pretty good content coming up in the coming weeks. Uh, so Jeff Garner will be with me uh, in, in the coming week. I look forward to that probably dropping at some point next week, the middle of the week before the Christmas and the Hanukkah holidays. So um, so, yeah, so that's just kind of a my summation, if you will, of the Riverhound status and a lot more to come. The team is expecting expected to make uh, some player signing announcements again next week, the week leading up to the holiday, uh, somewhere around December uh, 19th, 20th, somewhere in there. We're probably going to be expecting some new player signing announcements, maybe re-signing players who are out of contract, who they're going to bring back. I think that's probably the first wave. Uh, Bob Lilly this past week was out of town scouting. So he was doing some scouting and doing some traveling. So he hasn't been in the Pits He hasn't been here in Pittsburgh uh, this week. So I had looking forward to catching up with him uh, probably sometime late next week. Hold on. Vamos, vamos is the word because we're ready to bring on Amadeo uh, Eichberg. Amadeo, you and I are, are regulars in the press box at Highmark Stadium, so that makes us Pittsburgh soccer media official, <laughs> Pittsburgh soccer media people. Um, but the the attention has, uh, you know, to soccer, obviously, it's been nuts really the last couple months in terms of how much here in Pittsburgh we've had you know, the Riverhounds in the playoffs, we had Pitt, we had Duquesne men, it's just so many things happening on so many scales. And then to top it all off, the World Cup took place this year in November and December. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. But, uh, but anyway, the, all the excitement, everything that's happened, and now your home, your beloved Argentina is in the final. Uh, I just, I just, what does this mean to you as an Argentine American to yeah. this? Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. Um, this is this is my great passion, this particular tournament. I was such a I was a little boy when uh, when I attended the first one live in uh, in 1978 when it was held in Argentina. I think I was like 10 years old and um, and I was taken to the first game, Argentina versus Hungary and just the passion and everything. And. Wow. And they ended up winning that tournament. And I remember as a little kid going down to the obelisco, the, the obelisk in the, the center of uh, Buenos Aires, and see the massive celebrations. Um, they would replay the World Cup goals, just dancing in the streets. And, and it was phenomenal. And from that point, it was in my blood. Uh, fortunately, the next, the next World Cup, 
Um, my dad took me to to Spain to watch the uh, that cup. Um, my dad is a physician. He had a group of Latino doctors, and they uh, they saved up money and took their family. And I was uh, a beneficiary of that. But we saw the World Cup final, and the Azuri wow. uh, beat beat the the Germans. And I remember uh, after the game, the Italians. Uh, jumping in the fountains of Madrid, getting arrested, but they didn't care. Their team had won the World Cup. Um, four years later, was was is etched in my memory. I, I didn't. I was uh, I was in college there, but I remember coming home uh, because back then they were in the summer. Well, they're always in the summer, and uh, and then I just saw that that game against England. Uh, you know, with the first, the hand of God. Everyone talks about it. Yeah, Maradona cheated. But the second goal, John, Yes, I count the players, seven yes. players and the goalkeeper. Who does that? Who runs around seven players and the goalkeeper? Only Diego Armando Maradona, uh, although now we have Messi doing similar uh, feats. Uh, so that one I remember particular. And I remember that one because, uh, to be honest, I think that was the last great World Cup final, that one in 86. It was, if you remember, 3-2 yeah. Argentine win. Argentina had a comfortable 2-0 lead. And the Germans, like, is their, uh, is their behavior? They didn't give up. And uh, and two two goals to, to match it up. Six minutes to go in the game. You think Maradona is going to make the play? And he does, but not not scoring. Just a beautiful pass. Uh, and and uh, the striker put it away and and they they won uh, just 90. I remember being in New York City at the time. I lived in New York. I did something very, very, uh, very dangerous um, after Argentina had beaten Italy to get to the final of that World Cup. Um, I wore my Argentina shirt throughout Little Italy. And I was cursed by a lot of mafioso-looking guys. And then I said, Amadeo, I got to get out of there. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, they lost that final and perhaps one of the poorest finals because it was a controversial yeah. kick with like five minutes to go in the game. Um, and they kicked out Argentine players. I, there was something a, about that one. And then after that, for my Argentina, a lot of years in the wilderness and a yeah. lot of a lot of frustration because we had just to get give you an idea of the depth we had a team in 98 that had crespo and batistuta on the same team and the coach couldn't utilize those two power weapons to, to bring a title or even get past uh this the second round um and then we had the brightness in 2014 but then it was too much messy pendencia it's called when you depend on on messi and and he came up a little short to the uh, to the germans and I, I'll always forget, yeah, I'll never forget Iwain missing that only goal that could have been the difference. And then um, and then 2018, mas o menos, we didn't do well. And now and now um, this tournament has been great to me. And um, it, it I don't want to go on too long, but but yeah. it started off. It started off really rocky. As you know, Argentina came out of the gate and lost to Saudi Arabia. Um, after winning 35 games in a row, you lose to, to a team that's ranked like 60 or something in the FIFA rankings. Um, but to their credit, um, they didn't give up. And, uh, and I give the coach a lot of credit for this, too. They rebounded and it seemed like, uh, John, they got stronger as the tournament progressed. Um, I, I was very impressed with that win against Holland because I thought Holland had a very complete team and played Argentina toe-to-toe. -to -toe. But one thing that 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 I need to give Los Argentinos a lot of credit, uh, John, is they are good at the penalty kick shootouts. Yes, they if are. you look at their record in the Mundials, I think they win like 80 or, or 90 percent. 
Conversely, the the British are atrocious at the uh, at the world at the penalty kicks, and and now that's such an important component of the game, especially since a lot of ones uh, go to the uh, the penalty kicks. So so here we are. Um, yeah. We're in the World Cup final against France, and um, it's it's just such a such a showtime kind of marquee kind of final. Um, no offense to Morocco or Croatia, but that wouldn't right. have had quite the star power, let's be honest. And this one gives it all. It gives Europe versus South America, Mbappe mm-hmm. versus Messi. So the battle of the number 10s, uh, croissants versus empanadas, light blue versus dark blue. Um, so I, I, I just yes, there's, there's so many, so many storylines. The French have the motivation to to become the first team to repeat since 1962. John, that's a, that's what, 60 years since Brazil did it. So if that that's phenomenal motivation and Argentina has perhaps a little bit more motivation of winning one for the, the great Leo Messi. So, um, you so game on and I, I, I'm, I'm just ready to go for this world you, cup. And I think, I think the world is too. I think you just set the table beautifully. I think I just, anyone wants to just, you know, wake up on Sunday morning and then replay this podcast, you know, that like around eight 30 or nine o'clock, uh, Eastern time for us, uh, just play that for a second. And I think that just gets, get, you can't not get excited about really the biggest sporting event in the world. I mean, this is bar none. Uh, this is something that, and in here in the United States and here in Pittsburgh, you know, we, we've experienced pieces of it. I think the, the culture here has, has been changing in a positive way. We have our form Pittsburgh soccer. Now we have, you know, the Riverhounds have, created have been building that culture for 20 plus and, and years. i i might add also the american outlaws the uh the, yes. the fan base of the uh and and i know this from experience because uh i want to th- i want to give a shout out to mike's beer bar it's a wonderful yeah. establishment on um uh, right across from pnc uh park and they bring you steak on a stone and they have 500 uh, types of beer but it's become a haven for soccer fans very soccer friendly um we had some viewing parties that were very successful where we had the djs come out and do giveaways and mike put the games on in our language in espanol and and the the announcers show so much more emotion when they scream a goal from argentina um so so places like that but my point is i i went to see the uh the u.s uh against England game there and it was it was capacity they had the fire marshal kind of thing and they had the overflow into his second bar which is North Shore Tavern and that was also uh filled up so um so yeah I actually went to the Rivers Casino to watch that one uh because there was no no place so that that in itself shows you that uh that that there is such a passion here in Pittsburgh a lot of soccer fans and it's not just Americanos there are a lot of people that that there were from other countries, but but unite to see this game. And and I'm glad that there's a place like Mike's Beer Bar because uh, for a long time we had the Piper's Pub here in town. Right. And that was like a soccer place. They would open up uh, early for Premier League games. And now Mike can do the same thing now that the, the Piper's Pub is closed. So so that that's one of my my plugs. But um but but I, I thank him for for helping uh, the radio station and supporting and supporting La Mega. Yeah, and just um, briefly yeah. talk about your La Mega and what you're doing in terms of Hispanic culture in Pittsburgh is not, you know, I've worked with some different programs that it, there's some valuable programs out there that support the Hispanic community. It's small, 
but it's a strong group. And I think right. it's, it, there's some really good things out there for uh, those uh, who of Hispanic background in Pittsburgh community, but you, you're doing some wonderful things. Oh, thank you, John. Well, uh, it is small in regard to other big metropolitan cities, obviously, and especially when you compare with Houston or Miami or those places where they're loaded with Latinos. But this this stat always almost uh, really hit me hard, which is uh, it's a very encouraging stat. Uh, there was an 80 percent growth in the amount of Latinos living in Pittsburgh since 2012. So that that's a lot in 10 years, 80 percent growth. And you can see it if you go to Las Palmas Supermercado in in Beachview or or five star Hondureñan restaurant in Coriopolis, uh, Ambridge. There, there's there's a lot of pockets that that are uh, that that are filled with uh, with Latinos that bring a lot to the economy. You know, some of these places were boarded up and then Latinos come in and put new business. And as far as my company, La Mega Media, we are based in Columbus. We have the Spanish uh, radio stations that are market leaders in Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. They were going to go to Detroit, but I said, no, you come to Pittsburgh. That's that's where we have a lot of Latinos. And now we're here. We have a wonderful radio station on the south side. In fact, that's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. um, let's see if I can yeah, that's the DJ kind of doing her thing. And um, before there really wasn't a need for a Latino radio station. And now there is. And it's, it's been well received, John, and not only from the uh, from the from the Latino community, but from the American communities. And I have more advertisers and sponsors that are American companies that want to reach these demographics, whether it be for jobs to find trabajadores, because, you know, Latinos make great workers or to find new customers in the demographics, uh, they're coming to me. So this is the last plug I'll put, but if there's <laughs> any corporations out there, uh, just give me a call. Um, and uh, yeah, but let's get back to, to football. Um, yeah, let's, I, let's I, I'm gonna throw something at you. What, yes. what, do you, what do you think about the third place game? It's a game that nobody wants to play on Saturday, right. but I think the Moroccans are, are, are really gonna wanna get that third place. A a am I wrong? I, you know, there's some, uh, there's something there to be said to, to be one of the three teams that's in, uh, makes the podium, if you will, uh, when you look at the World Cup. And I, I you know, that there's definitely motivation. I think for both, I think both um, countries, you know, I think uh, Croatia, what a wonderful two yeah. cycles in a row now. Where they finished in the top four or they finished, you know, and, and so if they could, and, and I, I have to interject. And I have to interject on that, that they beat Brazil. I mean, they were the ones that uh, and and uh, which was kind of a lucky play for Argentina, although the whole world would have enjoyed an Argentina Brazil semifinal. Let's let's not, uh, you know, but but as an Argentine fan, it's 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 nice when when you're, you're top. They, they were a competitor to take that this this title away and now they're yeah. watching Flashing from rio up. de janeiro from porto alegre from from sao paulo and uh yeah uh, it, I, i'm relishing in that as an argentine fan because of the rivalry but i also respect brazil and i respect the fact that they have five titles and argentina has two or maybe three after uh sunday right so you want to get caught up there to to brazil any way you can even if you don't have to beat them on the way to uh getting it but I think that's certainly a matchup that we would love to see on the World Cup stage. And uh, we haven't seen it. We just haven't seen it. And, and that's something, you know, too bad. Um, I'm, I'm pro third place game. Another reason okay. why is because we have a, a little contest going, Pittsburgh Soccer National ah. with us. 
And uh, so we still get some points for the whoever gotcha. wins that third place game. So I have Morocco still alive. So I was like, <laughs> okay, vamos. let's go Morocco. As long as they don't score an early goal on them, they're great. I think their style yeah. is, is to eke out that zero zero. And then, then when people, uh, you know, let their guard down, they, they strike. So I think France kind of put a big wrench in their, uh, in their plans there. But if you look at the game, um, I thought it was an even Steven game. And I thought that scissor, Bicycle kick could have been the goal of the tournament if the if it didn't hit the the post. Uh, in certain ways, Morocco was unlucky, but they 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 have themselves to blame because they did miss some chances that were right there that were served on a platter. For sure. All right, so let's look at the final. Uh, what oh, what are your thoughts heading in for Argentina? What their chances? Uh, you know, I guess Di, Di Maria might be back. Um, you know, Hernandez came up big. Uh, I'm sorry, Fernandez came up big in the uh, in the. Um, in the semifinal, sure. you know, Messi is, I, I think what it's amazing about Messi is his ability to adjust and to mm -hmm. see what's needed and just, you know, just to do what's needed. And I just think that, you know, people talked about his age and, and all of that, but it, it, it didn't the matter. Smarter, the smart players know they just, they just, he's just, He's a wizard, and he's on a different level than everybody else. A prime example of that, John, was against the Croatia game, where they had him in the corner at the edge of the box. They had the best defender on him, the guy with an intimidating-looking mask. The guy was like three times his messy size, maybe about a decade and a half younger, and, and Messi just did the wizardry, because I love I love that term that, that you just said, the wizardry, and, and turned him around and just gave a great – Pass to Julian uh, Alvarez, which has been the revelation of the tournament, I think. Um, and and so uh, that's the beauty of of, uh, of Messi is is it's not only his spectacular goals, but let's face it, he has spectacular assists too, and that was a good example. Um, as far as the matchup, um, I'm not so much of a sports better, but this is uh, this is a pick 'em like like they had him back in. I really think it's so evenly matched uh, roster wise both both have strong rosters let's let's go from the goalie Emiliano Martinez has been has been on fire he made a, a save against Australia that kept them in that game and avoided the penalty kicks um, and he has an ability to talk trash and intimidate uh, players during the uh, penalty kick which is an important thing to have and on the other side you, you know how well the French uh, uh, keeper played against Morocco he was standing on his head um, Mbappe versus Messi so so that's almost a wash because one and Mbappe is about the fastest player I've seen in a very long time, and he's yes. hard to stop. But Messi is messy. Some I like. There was a one Argentine that says he's not a human; he's an alien. So, so uh, if there's a slight edge, I would still give it to Messi there. Um, and then, and then um, two excellent coaches. I mean, Deschamps. Yeah. He has experience. He's got a. Uh, he's got one of these in his cases, so you can't say he's he's a bad coach. And he's guided them to the final. Um, and, 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 you know, beating England and some decent teams along the way. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think the Argentine coach is right there with him. Um, I, think, uh, I think he did two good things. One, when they lost uh, that early round, uh, he had them ready for the next game, which is good. They weren't down and, and they kicked ass against, excuse my language, against Mexico. Um, and then the other thing I like, and this, this to me illustrated great coaching, is uh, Lautaro Martinez was terrible the first game. I mean, he was missing opportunities, offsides. He was just a mess. And that was our uh, prime striker. And instead of sticking with him, uh, the coach saw 
saw saw what he saw and said, hey, let's put this young kid, Julian Alvarez, even though he's only 21 years old. Um, I, I'm proud of Julian Alvarez because I'm a River Plate fan and he's mm. a product of River Plate. I mean, he came up through the system and, and recently he was plucked by uh, Manchester City and, and he's actually on the bench behind, uh, you know, behind Holland. So, um, so he's not even get so much playing time, but to stick him in that, that situation, the guy's got four goals already. My prediction is he's going to get a couple more in the Mundial and he's got such a bright future. And Argentina needed a, a great striker because we really haven't had one since Patistuta, Bati goals. Some of your older uh, listeners uh, might know exactly who that was. Uh, this lethal Argentine. I know who he was. That's for okay, sure. Okay. You saw that, that. If it was in the box that he would put it away, he had power. He just had game, you know, and he was a Lewandowski type uh, before yes. Lewandowski. That's a great, um, great and, and, a, and, a, and a true mm-hmm. number nine, not not these false nines that come back. He, you right. know, but but get, getting to Lewandowski, and, and I know that, that you have a Polish heritage. First of all, congratulations. I thought it was a good tournament for Poland. Yeah. Their only missing thing is they could not provide service to Lewandowski. They could not put that ball on his feet, right. and, and he's used to the service. And when he has to come back to fetch the ball, it takes him out of his game. Um, but I think Poland has has nothing to uh, to be ashamed of, and they got past Mexico in that opening group. So uh, so congratulations on on that. But um, but I guess the focus is down to the the final two. Like I said, it's a marquee matchup. It's a coin toss. Um, if you do ask me to to predict it, I will. This is my prediction. I think it's going to be a one one after like sixty minutes. Then Argentina is going to get that second, the Julian Alvarez. Then the French are going to try to make the equalizer and then a counterattack to put everything away. And Argentina, 3-1 victory. Messi hopefully kisses the Copa. And it is, um, how should I put it, John? It is the fairy tale ending that a lot of the football world uh, might be looking for. Well, I, I think that's the if, if that's the way Argentina would want to script it out. I mean, living dangerous. You, you know that France is going to, if, especially if they go up or whatever. I mean, you know sure. they're going to be coming in waves and numbers and speed with Mbappe. And, of course, you know, Griezmann, Gerard, I mean, they're just so talented and they have so much firepower. And I, I think that'll be interesting uh, that if Argentina can dictate the pace, dictate the tempo. And, of course, you know, again, Messi is a big part of that. Um, so the ball at his feet has to be at his feet. And so that 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 matchup in the middle will be very very interesting. And and the defense will be will play a big part of this because, like sure. you said, you made a great point. So much firepower for both teams. I mean, De Maria, Messi, Alvarez, and for the French, Griezmann is playing out of his mind. Giroud. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's almost like they they cancel out, and it's going to be like which which defense steps up, and and they both have vulnerabilities a little bit at the back, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and we have good, good defenders like Nicolas Otamendi and everything that have experience. And, and uh, the one thing that worries me a little bit as an Argentina fan is, is the, the French are bigger. They're bigger people physically. And, and, um, and so for those headers, that complicated things when, when Holland put in that, that striker. Remember, that was like six mm-hmm. foot four or something. And, and so, so Argentina has to be careful on, on defense. But, um, but I, 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 like the, I like the fact that they have a supporting cast this year for Messi. And I, I just feel like the stars are aligning in their place. 
Uh, it's almost good they got the lo- the loss might have been a good thing after actually they had won 35 straight games they were due for a loss and it kind of gave them a wake up and 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 the fact that and I'm sorry I'm I'm rosy colored glasses for out of no that, but, you, you, this but, is but, what, but the fact yeah. that their best their best game of the tournament was their last one against against you know against Croatia was um is is just a good sign that that they're ready to go they're focused and uh, and let me add one final element to why I think Argentina is going to get the edge. And I might be completely wrong in this, but uh, but I think that uh, that the fans will make a difference. A lot of Argentinos travel there. They're very vocal. From what I heard, only the Moroccans match the Argentinos in, in, in fervor and, and, and just fanaticism. Um, so, so I think it's going to be loud in that stadium. And just a side note, they, they played games in that stadium before, so it's almost like a little bit of a home away from home stadium. So these are all little tiny intangibles that, that might make a difference. Um, and I'm just very optimistic. I don't know if my 3-1 scoreline might be a little too arrogant, too cocky, and then, but that's what we are. I, Argentinos are, are very arrogant people. Uh, they, they, people get mad. The other Latinos say, who, who made Argentina the top of the totem pole? I didn't get the memo. Um, but, you know, we brought the world tango. We brought the world uh, Messi, Maradona. Uh, we brought the world uh, great, great beefes and steaks. Uh, I mean, we, we have a lot to be proud of as a country. So, uh, so allow me to be proud. And um, and please, anybody who's out there, I will be watching this game at Mike's Beer Bar. I'm sure he's going to run specials. The American Outlaws has, have chosen that place to see the final, so it's going to be packed. Get there early, and it's a breakfast thing at, at 10 a.m. kickoff. 10 so, yeah. uh, so one of those that I'm going to, uh, if I sleep that night, but uh, I'll get up <laughs> early and, and just uh, and just go, and just, uh, and I'm going to party. I uh, just tapping into your um, energy, your enthusiasm. Your, your passion uh, for this match is just exactly what the doctor ordered for this podcast. I, I Thanks, just, I, you know, I want to talk a little bit. I'll pay bit you around the corner for saying those kinds of things. I feel like Thank if you. I talk about the Riverhounds, it'll, you know. I, no, no, we actually, actually, I have a good segue into the Riverhounds. You did, you had something you wanted to share. So I'll let yeah, yeah, before we finish the, the podcast. Okay, so we have our mutual friend, Matt, who's the director of communications and That's does right, a wonderful Matt, job. For the Riverhounds, and okay. and he sent me a text after the Argentine victory, and apparently he watched the the Argentina semifinal with uh with Coach Lilly, uh-huh. and Coach could not stop coaching. He was yelling at Otimendi for being out of place on defense. He thought of the midfielders weren't moving enough. He thought the, the striker should have been in a different position. And and I just, we both know Coach Lilly, so so I just got a kick of that. That's and then Matt, and then I said, was he rooting for Argentina? And then I'm waiting for the text back, and he says he wants to see Messi win one. So, so, uh, so I think. And then, uh, as far as the well, Riverhounds, I, I, I think I think it would be disservice not to mention them because they are the pro soccer team in town. The arrow is facing up so much for this team. They are getting. They had three or four sellouts. One of them I will take credit for with this say Hispanic Heritage Hispanic Night. Heritage Night. That's right. Where they, they, they paid some money to advertise through our air, airwaves and it came through for them. The the uh some of the, the staff members, John said there were more Latinos there at that particular game than all of last season. And the other thing I'll I'll say is in addition to Zach and Natalia and Nicole and all my friends there, 
um, is, is Jeff Garner's doing a wonderful job mm. because I think he's going to take it to the next level. As you know, he came over from, uh, from a championship team in Orange, uh, Orange County, California. He's going to implement some of the same things. And the, the thing that I love is I didn't have to go back to square one with, with Jeff trying to convince them that Latinos are a, good, uh, are a good fit to attract them to the Riverhounds game because he saw it firsthand in, uh, yeah, in California and is married yeah. to a Puerto Rican. So, sure. so he knows, and I'm hoping to do some good business within this year where we help each other out. One of the things that helped was they had Latino players like Danny Rivera, Angelo uh, Kelly Rosales, and Arturo Ordonez that all came by the studio and, and talked about the Riverhounds and, and, and got, got our listeners yeah. engaged. And Arturo Ordonez is coming back. So we do know yes. that. Unfor he's unfortunately, he's Angelo Kelly is, Rosales Kelly is not. And Danny Rivera, I'm, I'm not sure. Do you know? Who? Uh, Danny Rivera. Uh, Rivera is not, he's, he is out of contract. So he will not be back. Well, we right. don't know officially if he's, but he's out of contract. So well, that's a shame because he's he's a he's a superb player that could play any position. But um, but uh, yeah, so the arrows going in. I mean, and the games are in March. So uh, so the, the season is is around the corner. And um, and we know and, and I look forward to covering games with you. Half the fun is sitting in the press box and with our wise cracks. We have a lot of fun there. Absolutely. Um, that's for sure. Absolutely. And we do know uh, I will have Jeff Garner on my podcast next week. Uh, the, the Bob is out. I know after being here um, last week watching the, the World Cup games, he's actually out of town now doing some scouting. Um, I am planning to catch up with Bob as well. Uh, I think there's some tough decisions that he had to make. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that with Mark Goodman too shortly. But, okay. you know, there's, he did have to make some tough decisions. But sometimes you just have to make those decisions. You know, Alex Dixon is, is, had a great 2021 he was in his, his option year last year, did terrific first half of the season and completely dropped off its numbers. You know, maybe health was a factor. Um, uh, Dane Kelly, too. Was, Dane the Kelly, they, they brought him in thinking that, that he was going to be the answer at striker and he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, again, all-time leading scorer in USL championship history. But sometimes, you know, these things, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. And especially when you take veteran players, you're taking chances. So uh, in those cases. But I think that they got their money's worth for Dixon for a year uh, plus. And, you know, Canardo Forbes, I mean, what can you say? So I don't know if they're just kind of working, trying to work something out or what's going to happen there. But he was – he did have a contract option for 2022 – 23, I'm sorry – and they opted not to exercise it. So I, I don't know what's going on there or if he, they're just like, you know what, after, uh, guess it's five years, uh, you know, almost one of the all-time leaders in just about every, uh, you know, minutes played, not minutes played, but games played for the Hounds, assists, all those things, um, he won't be back, so. All right, so that wraps things up with Amadeo Eichberg. Amadeo brought so much passion and energy and, 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 and insight about uh, his native Argentina, who will be in the World Cup final on Sunday. And I just, in some additional really great talk about the Hispanic community and Latinos in Pittsburgh and, and all the work he's doing uh, with La Mega. And so I just, I just a wonderful guest, and I, I really hope to have him on quite uh, often as we move forward uh, with this podcast into my our second year of doing it. But but right now, I'm very, very happy to have Mark Goodman join us, Soccer Rabbi. Mark, it's wonderful to talk to you a few days ahead of the World Cup final. It's just 
there's always just so much excitement in in the world in terms of like a soccer final and now we have one with mega stars you know lining up on both sides of the table and uh, Amadeo and I talked a lot about that but Mark what is your just general feeling right now heading into the World Cup final uh this could be one of the better World Cup finals of the last basically of my lifetime and the you know I've I've basically been watching the World Cup since 1990 that's a pretty strong thing to say um, there's only one caveat to that, which is Argentina, both Argentina and France have tremendous global superstars. Obviously, when we watch this on either Fox News or Telemundo, they will sell Kylian Mbappe and Lionel Messi at that. This is the, you know, this is the showdown between the two largest global megastars, you know, Ballon d'Or uh, finalists every year these last couple of years. Um, but the 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 only reason this might not be a good game is if Argentina decides to go full Argentina, which is um, Argentina and a few other teams in South America like Uruguay, Uruguay have a propensity to turn defensive and turn very physical um, if they think that is to their advantage. And Argentina did that a bunch in the Netherlands game. They just decided to kind of hack a shack, foul their way through the game and let the referee decide whether um, whether that was going to be fully accounted for. If Argentina decided to do this, this could be a bit of an ugly nil nil. The flip side to that is um, when you get foully um, against top, top, top tier teams like this you run the risk of what France and England got into at the end of their big showdown match, which is you open the door for a lot of free kicks in dangerous spots, which can result in fantastic finishes. So that's my only thing, which is like, this could be a free flowing, super fun final with a three, two final score, or this could be a violent bang it out, nil, nil draw that goes to penalties or it could end on a one nil Messi tucks it over the wall into the upper left-hand corner for a perfect, um, you know, like uh, repose to his career. I think all three of those are likely uh, realities for this game. Yeah. We saw history, history teaches us that Argentina can play the three, two final, you know, what a splendid final they played in 86 and 70. Uh, I'm sorry. 90 was just a, it was an ugly, ugly match. You know, and 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 of course, so it could go either way. I mean, they they have the propensity, like you said, in that Netherlands match was that last, you know, last part of the, how they lost a two nothing lead. Uh, and I think they just they felt so much. They were just trying to like dirty their, you know, grab and clutch their way through to get to that, you know, result. And it backfired on them completely in the last 10 minutes. And, and then of course, into extra time, they did what they had to do and, and, and got to the, you know, to penalties, but um, Hey, I, I just think this is, there's just so much firepower on the French side too. I mean, they're just, they, that's just the thing. Like if France gets the early goal, I, I would be concerned about Argentina. Yeah. Uh, to, to your point about the France lineup. Um, I mean, Olivier Giroud has been, really great for kind of their senior statesman, the meaty French forehead of Olivier Giroud. If you don't know that phrase, 
um, sounding off fans, uh, go Google it. It's just one of the better quotes of all time from the English Premier League when Giroud played for Arsenal. Um, when Giroud is your kind of leading the line guy and Antoine Griezmann is uh, like a lesser figure, that's already mind-blowing. I mean, Griezmann is a is a world-class guy. I'll add to that that Kingsley Coman comes off the bench for this team, and Coman is, again, um, if he weren't playing for Bayern Munich, he would start and be the global superstar for almost every other team in the world. So this team is um, absolutely... Um, completely overstocked with ridiculous talent. Um, the other guy that you'll hear the name of, if you haven't watched a lot of French France matches up till now is Adrian Rabiot. And, and Rabiot has uh, really developed as a player from starting in the French league to moving over to Juventus uh, is, is, Kind of at this point in his career, the platonic ideal of a number eight, a number eight being a so-called box-to-box midfielder, a guy who is tidy in distribution, his receiving is really world-class, he has a, a head-on-a-swivel ability to really distribute 360 degrees, but also um, keep the ball in, in pressure situations, and his defensive abilities are par excellence. I mean, he is a really exceptional player he will be asked to do a lot of mucking up um john if you do you want to comment a little bit about argentina and br br eyes on the ground of what what makes up i didn't even mention the defense of, of france which is exceptional but um exceptional. But, and i think that's the well the one thing i and i would come back to you with is argentina you know in terms of are they a little susceptible in the back you know that's my question you know Amadeo doesn't seem to think so. He well, he he sort of kind of went back and forth on both teams having potential. I don't know. I think France's back line and and their keeper, uh, Loris, right? Yeah, Loris, Loris. Sorry, is is just exceptional. And I, I don't know, you know that I think it's Argentina. That's why I, this is one of the reasons why I think this this is most likely will be a a one one or a nil nil. Uh, type of match although I hope it isn't and I hope both teams let it they just play but uh, I think Argentina probably feels that if they don't in order to slow down France they're, they're probably going to have to kind of resort to what they did against the Netherlands and um, you know I, I, I can't really comment terms too much on personnel uh, specifically I'm not like you know gonna sit there I, I've watched both teams play the my eyeball tests tells me that if they both just play, I think it would be fun. Uh, the addition of Di Maria, I think, will be interesting, too, because then that could get Argentina back into that, probably into that 4-3-3 mold where, you know, they can use him, uh, you know, and, and Messi is, of course, Messi's going to find his spots. He's the wizard. Uh, he If he feels he needs to be more present in terms of trying to create goal-scoring chances, you know, then try to put some pressure on that French defense, uh, you know, back line and, and make them kind of make decisions because obviously, you know, the, they need the ball at his feet. Argentina does as much yeah. as possible. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think Di Maria adds an interesting piece to it because, you know, what Argentina does need to do is they need to figure out a way to stretch out that French um, formation and, 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 try to open things up as if they can, but 
Not and they can, and they can do that tactically. So one of the weird things about Argentina is that they play two different, and I think this is fairly rare, but they play two different formations in the last two matches. Uh, Lionel Scanalini, uh, sorry, Scaloni, um, their head coach, um, rolled out the 3-5-2 or the 5-3-2, depending on how it looks, whether you're playing defense or offense against Netherlands and then went four at the back for the next match versus Croatia. Um, and that is really interesting. The other, the only reason I actually called that pulled the, pulled the lineups up was to see if what I was suspecting was true. And it was, which is um, Otamendi and Romero, the center backs for Argentina picked up yellow cards in their match against Croatia, picked up yellow cards in their match against Netherlands. So again, the hackashack methodology of the back line is going to be a big thing. And, and, you know, I don't, God, I don't know offhand if there's been a red card in a world cup final in recent memory. I can't think, I can't think of one. It's, it is like, I mean, no, just Zidane, right? Oh, right. Zinedine Zidane with the headbutt in like the hundred and something minute. And that was, 2002 2006 yeah six so that's a great call that's a great call but clearly that is an extreme example right Right. you like (laughs) nobody (laughs) nobody in their right mind didn't think that was a red card he was baited he was baited but 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 it didn't matter but the point is like um you know picking up a yellow early for Argentina will shift a lot of things. So they're going to have to, their backline is going to have to be clean and neat. Um, I very much like Otamendi. I think he's a, a he, you know, he's also another um, former English Premier League player who is now playing elsewhere. Um, he's with Benfica in the Portuguese um, top division. Um, but age is a factor and getting out in transition is a factor. He's 34 years old. I think he can chase down guys pretty good, but when whenever you get a, tall physical mobile uh center back who's of a certain age you kind of want to see if you can't exploit him so one of the other things that's been going on in this world cup is um the game states aspect right if you get a one nil lead on someone and it starts to get late and they feel pressure like croatia did they will start to take risks they will um they will play a higher line they will push more guys into the attack and they expose themselves on the counter and that's the thing that argentina are really going to have to be worried about um to some degree that again bodes poorly for an exciting final which is argentina probably want to keep it pretty buttoned up for the first half because if they concede they might be in big trouble against france oh yeah yeah absolutely that's that was one of the reasons why I, first points I, I wanted to make about this match, but a um, couple interesting twists uh, in terms of at least to fans in the United States, you know, um, Thiago Almada uh, is the Atlanta United uh, FC players. He's the, and you're a real, uh, you know, you're really on top of the MLS um, what's going on in the MLS, obviously. Um, it's the first time an MLS player has made it to a world cup final. I think that's pretty, pretty significant. Don't you think? I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think I would have remembered it because he hasn't had a lot of minutes um, for this team. And the odds that he actually sees the field, I think, are um, limited. He didn't come off the bench against Croatia. Mm -hmm. um, And he's a young guy. So I think 
the fact that he but the fact that he's just there is is pretty remarkable um atlanta had a, a rough go this last season um they're still in transition both from coaching they've never really recovered from tata martino they've cycled through a couple of coaches um but i think tiago almada is is a big piece of the puzzle moving forward for them they're also one of those high-flying aspirational teams in major league soccer where their owner is um gonna break the bank uh to make sure there's always a, a high quality player the other piece of course is the other side of of that coin which is all the kind of strong rumors of Lionel Messi coming to Inter Miami next year. Right. Um, so even though we say there's only one MLS player, we're having the first ever MLS player, like we we might have a second MLS player um, shortly thereafter. And by the way, um, there's no clear there's no clear um, uh, date for when MLS is going to drop its lineup. Typically, MLS drops its lineup around now. Um, typically they let home, they let, um, teams, uh, announce their home openers first, which gives you a very tiny window. And then about a week later, they drop their, um, the full schedule for each team. Uh, but you know, it would be good to lock up Messi, um, then drop the, the full MLS schedule because John, for me, wow. that'll determine, um, whether I'm going to be, uh, taking a trip to Columbus, Toronto, New York, or Philadelphia in the coming year or all of them to go see uh, we were talking before the pod started about time off and um men of a certain age finding the the work-life balance um That's i will right. I, I will put in a hard shift at my job through um march mm -hmm. so that i can book like three days in philadelphia to uh down a couple pints and sit in the press box and, and watch Lionel messi work magic if I can squeeze into the press box for a moment like that. I the only chance I really have is if uh, I go to Miami and send in my credentials as a Rapids reporter. I think being a neutral MLS um, reporter won't work. And I also think like you know, let's see, let's say um, uh, 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 Arturo Ordonez gets sold from the Riverhounds to Columbus or something like that. I don't think I'd be able to convince the folks in the communications department at the Columbus crew that I'm just here. I just happened to be in town to see Arturo Ordonez um, for Pittsburgh soccer. Now um, our former, our former guy. And Oh yeah, he'll be playing against Lionel Messi could happen. Maybe not. I think Arturo is coming back for the Riverhounds. Though, so don't underestimate our, our Pittsburgh soccer now's ability to get credential. I mean, I've, I have, I have covered U.S. men's and that women's national game, uh, team games. Sometimes they're tough to get, um, but it's, you know, that it just depends. Um, a couple things uh, entered my mind here. Uh, one, I want to say something before I forget. Catherine Nesbitt, uh, University of Pittsburgh, uh, Ph.D., uh, uh, where she earned, her, she earned her Ph.D. at the University of Pittsburgh. She's a Philly native. Is she gave everything up. She was a chemistry professor and did all that. And she is now on the world's biggest stage in terms of being an official. And she is going to be one of the four. Uh, actually, she'll be the assistant. She'll be the reserve for the assistant for the ARs. Yeah. Uh, referees, which I think, again, we're talking about MLS player being in the final, having an American, two American officials in the final. Uh, part of the officiating crew in the final. I think that's that's remarkable. It is. That's a huge. Who's the center? Who's the center ref for the 
for this one? Uh, I did Polish referee. I don't have the in front of gotcha. me. All good. Even That's fantastic. I I uh, I am a I have been uh, since I first started watching his refereeing career. I have been an Ismail Elfath Elfath stan. Um, a huge fan of his. Um, and then of course he came to Colorado and he issued a bad call and I was really frustrated, but I'm still, I've always been of the mind that, uh, you know, Ismail Elfath has been in the top three of MLS refs and he was also assigned, uh, to the group stages. So, um, that was really, really great to see. Um, so it's great. It's great to see, um, uh, us officials getting the glow up that they deserve. Absolutely. So I didn't want to, have this i had to absolutely mention that um while we're here we were talking you you talked a little bit about you and i talking about you know how we manage our day-to-day -day lives and our, our health and everything and but we were but part of the, what brought that conversation to light was you know and you added the, about you know messy and messy being on this big stage and all that pressure and how do you perform at that level all the time um whether it, you know we we talk about like in our everyday jobs or what we do um, or multiple things that we do uh, in trying to maintain a high level of yeah. know, work that we do. But but how how does someone on that stage with that pressure? And, you know, we started the World Cup preview pod. We talked with our we talked about that. What the questions I posed to the group, Messi or Ronaldo? I think we've all seen how that played out in this World Cup mm -hmm. as well. And, and not a knock on Ronaldo as a player, as an athlete, but just there's something so special about Messi, isn't there? Yeah. So the, the parable that I was giving over in, in my own life is I spoke at an event last night and I'm a rabbi. So my job is to get up in front of a crowd and, and say words. And I'll be honest, sometimes I am fantastic and everything that flows from my lips is brilliant. Sometimes I drop a turd, right? Like we, we don't all, not every, you don't go out and perform 110% every time. Um, preparation is a part of that, of course, and rest is a part of that. But I think like uh, one of the famous lines that Raj Bennett on the Men in Blazers podcast likes to use all the time is cometh the man, cometh the hour. Messi's pretty famous for that. I mean, he's he's pretty famous for being unflappable is not quite the word but but being capable in the highest pressure situation of acting like he's been there before and just being in that moment i think that we all hear the expression uh you know when the whistle blows it just goes back to being soccer but like messy being so the other thing that's related in my life also is a couple of weeks ago i gave a sermon and as I was giving the sermon, a very kind of famous former New York Times columnist came bounding down the aisle at synagogue and sat down in the front row, eyes locked with me. And as I was giving giving over these words, I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm suddenly nervous. This very famous person is now listening to me. And then I did that famous moment uh, from the movie Bull Durham, which I think about a lot when I speak. Uh, I know where you go with this. Go ahead. Which is um, Nuke Lelouch is nervous because his dad is in the stands and uh, um, Tim Robbins responds to him. Relax, kid. He's just as full as you know what as anybody. Right. I, was it was it Crash Davis? Was it uh, Crash? Yeah. It's, it's so, sorry, yeah. Thank you. It's uh, it's Kev right. Right. Um So, yeah, it, the ability to go into a situation, the messy experience that I'm kind of uh, mm. relaying here is 
for Messi, he walks into this global stage and he can legit say to pretty much um, himself and the rest of the world, I have been in this high pressure situation before. I've been in the um, UCL final. I've been in the Gold Cup final. Uh, I've been in the World Cup multiple years you know like he's been he's been playing for barcelona for the championship many many years like he's done it all he's been in all the high pressure situations this is just one more high pressure situation for him killing mbappe is probably not quite in the same situation and that psg has crashed out of the ucl pretty much every year um he's performed at a high level he's very very good but I think maybe you could make the argument that experience matters here. And the last thing I'll say, since I said I said a lot of words, is and, um, and yet he's a World Cup hero, you know, yeah. at a very very young age, and yet he could still feel that pressure. It's when you get older, you actually feel it more. Right. And I think so. The other the, the one other thing about Messi is um, he really is trying to cap off his career. Right. He is absolutely trying to achieve something that he has never done before and he will never get the chance to do again. Um, one last thing I'll say, which is, um, there's a beautiful interview he did with an Argentinian journalist um, at the end of the last match where the journalist basically did something that journalists don't do, John and I, um, which is he didn't ask, she didn't ask a question. She just, on behalf of the Argentinian people, thanked Lionel Messi for his entire career and said, whatever happens in the next round, we are so proud of you and we are so grateful for all you've done for us. Um, so that's the other piece of that, which is, and by the way, it's I'm laughing because I just think of you and me and maybe like, um, Amadeo and, 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 you know, uh, uh, Jaron at the trip and we're all sitting there at the press press box or actually in the, in the post-game conference. And, and one of us says that to Bob Lilly and I just can just envision his response being, you know, just, you know, just, just go straight into the next game and just, yeah. Bob would Bob would just say that uh, you know he really thought that the wingbacks didn't really do a good enough job getting forward. We would be we we would have given we would have poured our hearts and soul out about how much we love the Riverhounds, and Bob would just say like, yeah, we're 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 not doing a good job of defending in transition, you know, like stuff like that. But but that's Bob. Um, but but Mbappe has more chances, right? But Mbappe has his whole career ahead of him. This is Lionel Messi's last gasp. Like this is this means a lot to him. But to the point that I made before. I think he probably should approach this match saying he doesn't have anything to prove because nobody will ever say that Lionel Messi didn't achieve it all. Like they will say he was the best of the best and he did all the things. And whether he gets this trophy or not, like uh, it, he is still the greatest of all time. Asterix, you know, Pele and Ronaldo are also right up there. <laughs> Right. And we had some fun, you know, there's been a lot on Twitter or a lot of people tossing around about who's the greatest of all time. I know Mark Madden put out his top five, you know, people were kind of going back and forth and the, we all have our favorites. You know, I think it's hard for me growing up watching Pele, having a chance to see Pele in person, you know, of course he was, much, he was even older than Messi is now when I had a chance, well, somewhere around this age and then a little older, um, I had a chance to actually watch and see Pele play in person. I was maybe even at the time too young to truly appreciate it. Um, and, you know, the, it is what it is. But 
Maradona's talent was, uh, and and just the, his body frame and just just the, what he could do, and like they're just everyone brought something different to the table in, in um, and lifted their teams to World Cup titles. You know, that's like you said, that's the thing that evades Messi, uh, res Messi's resume, and I think that is it. Just makes this Sunday storyline just so so intriguing uh mark but yeah well i you know i i came into this podcast thinking there's so many things i want to talk to you about but really the world cup is is really what's on the forefront of all of our minds and i i I have questions about the u.s men's national team and greg burhalter i think we may even want to move some of these other topics to another podcast another day um and penalty kick shootouts and how we feel about that i think that's would make for a great winter uh, discussion as we head into, that's something people are talking a lot about right now. Like, oh, and one fascinating thing I did notice that I didn't realize that penalty kick shootouts only came into true, truly came into play in the 82 World Cup for the first time. So there have been, you know, years and years and years of FIFA and high level World Cup type play without penalty kick shootouts that they were flipping coins and playing extra minutes and doing other things, which is, is hard to imagine now that penalty kick shootouts have become part of our culture. Um, so that was just something I, you know, I didn't know what your maybe one minute epilogue on that would be. A lot of people hate them. I I'm a fan. Um, I think uh, when coaches and teams play for PKs, as we've seen a little bit in this, in these knockout rounds. And I think it you could argue the 94 world cup. Uh, a lot of people were talking going into that game that they were, but both teams were playing for, for a penalty kick shootout. But the other thing that goes with that is a lot of teams are treating it like it's part of the game. So you heard during the Fox broadcasts over the entire world cup, uh, John Strong talking a lot about whether a team had practiced PKs more in the run up to this game. Um, you know, the philosophy of it. I mean, I think uh, one thing that uh, if we if we go back into this World Cup and that will be remembered by um, top level folks is that Brazil lost on PKs to Croatia and Neymar was the fifth guy to take PKs. And they had missed so many before that point that he never got to take a PK, right? Like, so those little moments where there's coaching to it, there's strategy to it. Um, there's, there's the goalie. I think the other thing that's interesting about PKs, I've, I, and this is an argument I had with a, a, a work colleague around the water cooler a couple uh, days ago. Um, you know, he was saying, I don't like PKs. It's a bad end. And I said, oh, I was, uh, I take it back. It's a, it was a parent uh, of one of my kids at the day school. And I turned to him and I said, Yoni, your son is a goalkeeper. This is the best moment for a goalkeeper glow up that you yeah. could possibly get. You know, goalkeepers are usually think right. thought of as the scapegoats in in a World Cup match. But when a goalkeeper, you know, makes two unbelievable saves in a PK to send their team to the next round, it's a huge deal. So I'm a I I think there are challenges to it that I don't like, but at the end, I'm happy with it. Look at the parallel to any, you know, any level. And you saw Jamali Waite. I mean, what that did for him. And I'm sure, you know, we saw his confidence grow through the season with the Riverhounds. But when he finally got the opportunity to be in a PK shootout, and we know we go back to 2018 and 
yeah, you know, I think it was Dan Lind, but you know, I mean, just have that opportunity to step up and make a name for yourself. And he did there. And I think he's the hounds signed him to a contract. He's playing for the Jamaican national team. You know, he stood out against the, the, in the open cup game too. I think all those things helped him. And now the hounds hold his contract, which is a, I think a kind of a big deal heading into this season and he'll be their main guy, which is, we haven't said that. Well, I would say Danny Vitiello as well. And we yeah. In his success as well so that's a good thing i think that providing that opportunity to shine can only build confidence for a keeper and obviously notoriety and all that kind of stuff so yeah i i see i i like it too i really think it's part of the game it's part of the strategy and extra time and you know some of that piece of it and then just you, you can't go past 120 minutes. You just, it, I don't, I think the level of play, we even see that in 110 minute and on sometimes it's just completely drops off. Yeah. And I want to see high quality play. And if that doesn't happen, then the, the shootout, I think, unlike other sports, I, I do think there's, there's just something about it that makes it just ex- ex- intriguing, exciting, exhilarating. You're yeah. on the edge of your seat. It's still ha- all those things are happening. And if you have a sport and you want to entertain and you need to Russell Crowe, you know, are you not entertained? You know, after <laughs> great PK saves or somebody shanks one or just five straight, you know, both teams making it. There's just so much you're entertained. It's entertaining enough. Oh my God. And, and uh, in those rare occasions, you'll see these in, in, uh, in like cup matches in the FA cup um uh later rounds or or other cups around the country where a game will go to penalty kick shootouts and everyone scores or everyone misses at the exact right moment and therefore you get into it and like the the opportunity for a goalkeeper versus goalkeeper shootout moment oh. like those little crazy moments we were so close at the uh, Riverhounds Birmingham match weren't we right Right, right. I mean, just those moments are are wonderful. So I think I think the ability to to put the shine on the goalkeepers is always fun. So yeah, no, I appreciate your 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 thoughts on that. And I'd like to kind of wrap this up. I, I didn't know when to, to begin or start with this, but about a week or so ago, you know, shortly after the passing of Grant Wall, a you know, longtime Sports Illustrated soccer writer, but recently, you know, had did his own thing, was in Qatar and had unfortunately passed away unexpectedly. And Grant's, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to interact with him briefly a few times at uh, U.S. men's and women's national games, but it was in a message that I sent out to him as I was writing my book, and he was very generous with uh, his response. I, I you really appreciated that, um, that he was someone who knew that he took uh, the time he wanted, he, he, he really enjoyed the soccer writing, he was sports illustrated. He could have been writing big time college basketball. He could have been doing all these other things. He was a talented, talented man, talented writer, but yet he, he, he took his passion for soccer and he just took it to leap, you know, and gave us the United States um, sports audience, you know, the mainstream sports uh, fans and, and followers uh, a, a, an option with probably the biggest magazine in terms of sports coverage uh, the a primary writer who just did a wonderful job of describing the sport and and telling his stories and reporting 
in a, in an unbiased way. Uh, it, it all those things on a level. He brought, you know, soccer was one of the key figures in bringing soccer into the United States mainstream and covering some of the biggest things that happened in the last 20, 20, 25 years. And so, and I, excuse my rambling here a bit, but <laughs> it's my segue is to, to talk about you wrote a nice, short, but wonderful testament, uh, testament to Grant's writing, uh, and you, you called it your love letter to his writing, uh, and I just really appreciated that piece. But Mark, what what are your thoughts on on you know Grant and his contributions? I uh, I wanted to say I uh, I wrote my article out of a to be very blunt an envy of the situation, John, that you experience, which is. All these soccer writers, because the soccer writing community is small. You know, there's about like roughly a hundred of us, if you include all the kind of bloggers and part-timers like me and you um, who aren't full-time pros at it. Um, but almost everybody had a wonderful story like you did. Um, I was just on a podcast, the, the Rapids podcast with um, uh, one of our USL colleagues. Uh, his name is Mark Turner. He's been covering uh, for Last Word on sports he's covered the colorado switchbacks the colorado Springs switchbacks mm -hmm. and he had the opportunity at a u.s men's national game to sit at the same table as grant wall and they talked soccer for 90 minutes and he literally i i love this part of the story when he's when grant wall sat down next to him at this table for two he started to gather his bag and his coat and his scarf because he thought to himself, I can't sit at a table with Grant Wall. I'm not at this guy's level. I'm just some measly blogger. And he he kind of excused himself and said, uh, you know, do, I can go sit somewhere else. And Wall said, no, no, sit down. And then they chatted and they had a really nice time. And everyone I heard from and everyone who wrote about Grant Wall had that expression, which was Wall never put on airs. He did not think he was of a benighted higher level of writer because he wrote for Sports Illustrated. He, you know, worked for Fox. He was the biggest name in American soccer writing. Um, but I didn't get that experience with Grant Wall. I never messaged with him. I never got, uh, I never sat with him. I was never at a match with them. And that's because when you cover the Colorado Rapids, nobody gets on a plane and covers <laughs> your team, right? The Colorado Rapids are... Um, almost below the level of the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in terms of their uh, visibility in the American soccer scene. People avoid them. I remember when um, the uh, MLS All-Star Game was in Colorado, I reached out to all my favorite national soccer writers. I was like, hey, let's go for a beer when you're in town. And all of them replied, oh, I'm not coming, right? Like nobody bothered um, because it wasn't that great a stadium. It wasn't that big a deal. Anyways, point being, um, so I wrote about Grant Wall from the perspective of how I think 99% of American soccer folks know Grant Wall, which is from his writing. And he he writes in a very um, accessible, plain spoken way. But the word I used for Grant was dogged. You know, his work on the Freddie Adu story, the 91 Women's World Cup story, the Beckham experiment. Um, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't that his writing was flowery 
or um, uh, not not to be insulting, but erudite, like he wasn't fancy. Um, like sometimes John and you and I can both get caught in the weeds and spend a lot of time talking about tactics. I'll 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 just parallel one thing. I, I once wrote an article for The Athletic um, and I sent it to my dad and I said, dad, did you read my article? And my dad replied, yeah, I tried, but I mostly didn't understand it, right? <laughs> and I think that that spoke volumes about what Grant Wall was for American soccer, which was he could write for Sports Illustrated about U.S. soccer and really translate it for your average American sports fan who doesn't know what a box-to-box midfielder does. It doesn't know what wingbacks are. Right. doesn't understand the offsides rule. Right. And that was huge. And I think that that was, that was a beautiful thing about Grant Wall. And the thing about being dogged was he just worked really hard. He, he did interviews. Um, he asked good questions. He kept pursuing the story. He, pers- he pursued the back alleys and the far expanses of the story. And that kind of hustle and elbow grease is deeply appreciated by all soccer journalists. And we will really miss him. Absolutely. And I think your your point about him street, reaching the mainstream audience, I always found myself like, well, I'm creating this product here in Pittsburgh. And I know that I have to reach people who are not going to be up on the game. So they, I sort of pick my spots. But, you know, then you have the uh, the Steel Army and you have the diehard Riverhounds fans and you have people who are starting to really get into the game and they love the tactics. And, and the, look, bottom line is I make no apologies. Like I really enjoy to do, I enjoy doing that. And I think I was at the Pittsburgh sports. Now um, we had a little get together the other day and I was talking to a couple of people about that. And it's like, there's just, you know, there's certain things that we want to provide in terms of content that is immediate and get the word out, you know, like, it's newsworthy and, and, you know, we do that, but then there's the people who truly love soccer and want soccer do want the tactics and things like that. But my point I'm making is that's not possible without Grant Wall. Grant mm-hmm. Wall, he laid the foundation for all of us to be able to do these things because yeah. before that nobody, and he gave, he gave soccer, he, Every, everyone was going to pick up Sports Illustrated. And if Sports Illustrated soccer was on the, the cover story, the 99ers, for example, that was probably the most prominent one that I could think of. And he was there. He was part of that. It was like It was his writing who told that story of that team and that incredible experience, uh, what happened uh, against China and, and you know all of that. And, and of course, the 2002 team. And, and just there was just when soccer was still really evolving here in this country, he was there and he was there to tell us those stories. And, um, and I think it laid the foundation for us to be now be super technical and, and, and people want that. So I appreciate yeah. that. The last thing I'll say on that note is, and I'm getting a little misty eyed thinking of it, is there's no replacement. Um, I know all of and read all of and follow all of the top end national soccer writers. And there just isn't a person who's like Grant Wall. Stephen Goff is a wonderful writer, but he's a, he he generally has been kind of more technical and a little bit more um, kind of businessy sided. Um, Rory Smith at the New York Times is beautiful, but he's he's very British and he mm-hmm. writes in a very kind of flowery um 
He's a he has a fairly intellectual perspective, which I love, but is not Grant Wall's style. And Pablo Maurer is a beautiful writer for The Athletic, but um, he's goofy and he uses lots of colloquialisms and he's like a pop culture nerd and stuff like that. Um, Matt Doyle over at MLSsoccer.com is a brilliant commentator and thinker. But he's he's a nerd. He's a huge nerd. And so there's no way he'll ever be able to dumb it down for the masses. There's just right. no Jeff Carlisle might be kind of the, the Jeff, Jeff Carlisle is a good like, that's a good shout. Brian Sharetta uh, is also a good one. Yes. Um, they're both a little wonky and nerdy. Um, I lament my 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 buddy Jonah uh, Friedman, who was the editor for um, MLSsoccer.com back in the day. He had that capability. He When he wrote, he wrote a lot like Grant Wall. He had an everyman quality. He didn't get real nerdy, but he moved on to a good paying profession instead of soccer writing. And so we've lost that voice. So so the, the it is a great question, actually, mm-hmm. whether anyone will step up and be fill the shoes. And no one really will fill the shoes. And that's a big loss for the community. For sure. I, I think there's two ways to look at it. Nobody will truly fill his shoes. Nobody's ever filled Howard Cosell's shoes either. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's a different, but it, someone who was a, one of a, one of a, you know, a unicorn, if you will, um, in media and journalism. But I think that at the same time, he, like I said, he paved the way and there's going to be a lot of young people who now will be able to, are interested in being soccer writers because of, you know, because of Grant Wall. And I, I definitely look at it that way, um, for sure. Um, so, all right, Mark, well, it, it's been great to have you on. Uh, we could go on and on. We have, I think we have some, definitely some material for podcasts down the road. World Cup final, we, did you make, a, you didn't make a prediction. What, what is your prediction? I did on another podcast. So, uh, so, you have so to that. well, so if I'm smart, I'll, I'll predict it the other direction. And then I can say I was right, no matter what. Uh, um, I'll just I'll just keep to it. I think this game is going to end two one to Argentina. Um, I I don't know. I think of the predictions that I was talking about at the beginning about what the game is going to look like. There are three kind of possibilities. I think muck it up and get a free kick uh, over the wall for a winner is a, is a good shot here. Um, I think wow. Argentina. I think folks are going to be annoyed. I think Argentina is going to win, and I think people are going to be annoyed at the way they win. What do you think, John? I like the one-one PK shootout scenario. I think that's where we're going. I think Argentina gets the early goal mm. because I, I do. I think they get the first half or the early second half goal, and then France just sends its the, its artillery forward and <laughs> and gets one and 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 gets and it, and it becomes a little bit of a dogfight into extra time, and then I think it just goes to PKs, and I, I give it to Argentina. I think just because of the the resolve of Messi and the, the veterans, they're a little bit, little bit more, I mean, fairly a little bit more veteran than, uh, uh, than France. But I, I just think that, that that's kind of how I feel it, it's, it, it's going to go. I have a feeling it's France, just, France are terrifying. Where we've had I mean, a lot. Yeah. France are terrifying. What they did to England was, I thought was really impressive, which is their ability to possess the ball is crazy. Um, and just, you know, I mean, they made in stretches. They made England look uh, like uh, like a like babes in the woods. Like just really struggled. That's that is the the crazy thing is both these teams are capable of that. But I think like when you said sends their artillery when France is on it, nobody can stop them. 
Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll get the one and then, you know, Argentina will, will, will do everything they can to slow them down. So, all we'll right, see. Mark, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, looking forward to uh, this weekend and the, the, the cup final. And uh, again, thanks for joining me here on Sounding Off on Soccer. Always a blast. Take care. All right. Thanks.